and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. We're in Acts chapter 20, and we're actually looking at the same passage we did last week. There's so much here that we decided to spend a week looking at it from the context of uh, true teachers and then the context of false teachers. So this is the second of two messages under the title, True or False, Part 2. Last week, we looked at the intertwined traits of a true spiritual leader that were modeled by the Apostle Paul. And so we saw that that the first one is incarnational life and love. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. He became one of us. Uh, One paraphrase says he he moved into the neighborhood, you know. And uh, so we move into neighborhoods. Leaders are there with us. Uh, They're part of our lives. And it's been such a great joy to get to know many of you and to get to know the Tabernacle family and just, you know, do life together. Uh, Then there's also humble service under the chief shepherds. That was last week also. Humility, everything's about humility. God is God and we're not. Uh, Instead of glorifying self. That's what pride does. We want to glorify God, and humility is a necessary step between glorifying self and glorifying God. Knowing we're not God, He is, and loving and worshiping Him, and that He's the chief shepherd. We get to be under shepherds as we shepherd whoever we influence. All of us have a sphere of influence. We're all shepherding somebody, whether that's family members, friends, or a Sunday school class, or a whole church uh, family like I get to do. The third trait was perseverance amidst difficulty difficulties, past difficulties, present difficulties, future difficulties. There's something just that's inspiring uh, when we see people persevere and go on rather than give up. Uh, Another trait, uh, final trait, was the proclaiming the whole counsel of God in public and in private. So those were traits of a true spiritual leader. And today we're going to look at characteristics of false teachers. And I want to begin with the conclusion. (laughs) The key to identifying and rejecting false teachers and teaching is to be so familiar with the Bible and its teachings that counterfeits are obvious. Now, on the back of your notes, I did a photocopy of a $1 bill. Um, So look at it now. Is there anything wrong with that bill? (laughs) Would you be able to use that down at the Dollar General? Probably not. I think even the uh, ones that sleep through their shift uh, at the counter there and just ring you up and stuff, I think they'd be able to catch you. And Because that ain't George Washington. That's a picture of yours truly. And that bill might make for a good dartboard, but won't buy you a thing. Now, why did you know that that was a fraudulent bill, a phony bill, the minute you saw it? Wrong picture. That's not President George Washington. That's Pastor Danny Campbell. And so you know the real thing, and you were able to spot and say, wait, this, this has the rest of what looks like a dollar bill, but that's a dead giveaway right there in the middle. And as we are familiar with our Bibles, um, you know, it, um, it makes false teaching very apparent to us. Now, some of the deep theological doctrines like, you know, the five points of Calvinism and what does election mean and foreknowledge mean and all that stuff. Sometimes with those doctrines, it's easier to uh, draw a circle. And as we hear people make statements, we can say, now, wait a second, that's inside the circle. That's a true statement you just made there from the Bible. And another statement we go, well, it's kind of on the outside of the circle, or maybe it's right there on the fringe, you know, in those things. Um, But, uh, you know, the more you're in the Word, the more you're able to identify not only false and true doctrine, but also uh, doctrines, uh, the doctrinal main emphasis is that the Scripture is trying to give. Okay, so let's read Acts 20 again, verses 17 through 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders, plural, 
of the church singular. So uh, churches are to be led by multiple godly male leaders, the same way that we anticipate there being multiple deacons serving the church. And when they had, now there does need to be a first among equals, you know, so James was the leader of the church uh, pastors in Jerusalem, the elders in Jerusalem. Peter was the leader of the apostles, the first among equals. Um, when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. That's inspiring, isn't it? And if we heard that trouble was ahead, we'd say, I'm going left instead of right, you know. <laughs> but not Paul. He said, I'm compelled by the Spirit to do this, even though it's going to mean hardships, arrest, imprisonment, troubles. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men." And we looked at last time how that's a reference to Ezekiel's watchman on the wall. Jeremiah might bring that up too somewhere in his writings. I'll need to think about that a little bit, but I think he does. Um, and the concept of the watchman is uh, you see the danger, you warn the city, and therefore you give them the information they need to watch out for danger. And in this case, the danger is false teaching. He says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, Verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So the word pastor, shepherd, overseer, elder, those are all interchangeable for this spiritual leadership role given to some to guard the doctrine in the church. Verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, verse 30, so sobering, it says, From among yourselves men will rise up. Sometimes you like the people that will rise up. But they rise up, they get off track, they teach things they shouldn't teach. You know? And you got to deal with that as a church. Speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brothers, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessity, these tent-making hands, and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when He had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Mm. They'd see his face no more. True or false, part two. Last week we looked at true. This week we look at false. Paul's warnings to the church leader is kind of based on Jesus' earlier warnings. Matthew 7, 15 and 16, what did he say? He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like sheep. They dress like sheep, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Huh. So they look the part. But I think about what John writes about the Antichrist in Revelation, right? Uh, he looked like a lamb, but man, when he started talking, dragon words came out, you know? Uh, and so they, um, you'll recognize them by their fruits. They won't reinforce godly living. They'll say that sin is okay, that the Bible says is not okay. Guys, listen, not everything that's a church is a true church of Jesus Christ, right? So... We know that in Danville there's lots of churches, but so what? <laughs> so what? You know, if a church says that uh, sexual sin is okay and even will make leaders of people engaged in sin, 
such as homosexuality or whatever else, you know. The Bible says it's sin that needs to be repented of. Some not only call it not sin, they allow church leaders to be representing those. Well, those are Ichabod churches. The glory has departed. In the same way that a church said that, that says the Bible is not completely the Word of God, that's not completely true, would be an Ichabod church. The same way a church that says there's multiple ways of salvation, Jesus is just our way, so we don't need to go do missions or whatever. That's an Ichabod preacher, a false teacher. That's a church that needs to be turned away from. And so there is something in dark days and days where people do what's right in their own eyes and sin against the Lord by their speech and activities. Uh, you know, that um, we need to watch out for those that look the part and have a steeple, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, teaching them, will recognize them by their fruits. Their fruits will be false teaching that doesn't square with the Word of God. Throughout the New Testament, there are warnings about false teachers, including the entire one-chapter book of Jude. But today there are numerous cults that have grown from past false teaching, and new false teachers arise all the time. So, um, and... Um, so we think about, of course, uh, Mormons want to be called another church, but they don't bring the correct teaching about Jesus Christ. They say some of the same things we do, but with very radically different meanings. Anything that would fit the cult definition, that would be true in. But there are also just way too many of what I call fruity teachers among evangelicals looking to have people follow them with cleverly turned phrases and claims to have uncovered secrets others have missed, you know. Sometimes our Pentecostal friends uh, on their extreme uh, will have people uh, that every message seems to be the secret of this or the mystery about that. I'm going to explain it to you. No Christians figured it out for 2,000 years, but now you can buy my CD set and you'll get it. And that's just, you know, uh, watch out for that kind of thing. Uh, we're going to limit ourselves today to what's shown in Acts 20, but I've referenced... Uh, you, you know, I, I'm, you want more help figuring out who some of those teachers there. I don't mind talking about individual teachers and whether they've gone too far. There's two overarching traits of false teachers. The first one is false teachers serve themselves instead of God and others. They serve themselves instead of God and others. Look at verse 19. Paul says, He served among them with humility and tears. I served the Lord with all humility, had many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews that weren't embracing Christ and also just weren't noble-minded and fair to uh, other people. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul identifies himself as the chief of sinners, not uh, past tense, but present tense. I am present tense, the chief of sinners. There's humility there. Uh, in Philippians 3, he said he had not arrived yet, but was forgetting what was behind and striving to grow in Christ and Christ-likeness. In Galatians 2, he makes clear he had consulted with the other apostles to make sure he was preaching the right gospel. I remember when I was first saved and first called to the ministry, and I took those... Um, courses at Bryan, Bible and Christian education. Then I went to seminary. I, I was so careful. I wanted to make sure I got it right. I wanted to preach right stuff, not wrong stuff, you know. And every time that I interact with a, a young man called to preach, uh, you know, one of the things I see, one of the things that's fire in there is humbly wanting to get it right, wanting to make sure that they don't teach wrong things, you know. And that's just, we want to serve others. We don't want to proclaim stuff that's not true. In Galatians 1, Paul said, if he came back to them and no longer preached the right gospel, they should reject him. If I bring you another gospel than the gospel that I preached before, the gospel that's true, then uh, reject me. Uh, even if you like me, reject me, you know, when I start getting off track like that. False teachers don't come in humility, but in pride. So there's that next fill in the blank, I think. They don't come in humility, they come in pride. They claim experiential revelation from God that does not square with the Scriptures. I think about Muhammad having the audacity to say that the Old New Testament texts are corrupt and everything we know about God now needs to come through him as the final prophet. Um, think about the audacity of that. Uh, the Christians and Jews before them are wrong about all things in which I tell you a little bit different. Every time you're to take what I say, and people said, now wait a second, Muhammad, wait a second, wait a minute, you know. Um, there were miracles to authenticate Jesus's ministry. You haven't worked any miracles, Muhammad, you know. Um, and, and he said, the Koran is the miracle. <laughs> so he doubled down on when there's a conflict, I am right and all those things are wrong, you know. And of course, 
Christianity doesn't claim what came before in the Old Testament is wrong. It claims that there were specific prophecies that needed to be fulfilled, and Christ has fulfilled them. And any prophet, anything that was taught that's yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Um, Muhammad taught things like that the Trinity is the Father, the Son, Jesus, and Mary. As the Quran has that in there, and it's like, wait a second, I don't know who you thought you heard that from, but Christians, real Christians don't teach that, you know. He misunderstood some of the traders that talked to him about such things. It's Joseph Smith that started uh, Mormonism, saying all Christian denominations are now corrupt, and he has established the one and only correct church. Wait a second, Joseph Smith, you, you, you were 17 years old, and you're saying that everything we know about God now needs to come through you rather than the amazing revelation of the scriptures that can be backed up by archaeology and DNA evidence. The Book of Mormon, 0% can be backed up by archaeology. Hundreds of things backing up what's in the Old New Testament, zero backing up. And in fact, the DNA claims that the Indians of the Southwest were originally a lost tribe of Israel, DNA shows is a fraudulent claim. And we knew that anyway, you know. Uh, you know, a couple of the guys that Joseph Smith had originally write down and say that uh, these engravings were really, uh, you know, um, from the angel. They later said, oh, no, we were, we were lying about all that, you know. Um, and so you can uh, see those things. It's William Branham, who was the grandfather of the Word of Faith movement, who Benny Hinn once assured everybody William Branham was a tremendous great man of God, but William Branham proclaimed that Trinitarianism is of the devil. So if you believe that God has revealed himself as a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, William Branham said that's of the devil. Well, that's even more outrageous than my face on the back of that uh, bill there, right? You can recognize that. Wait, wait a second, you know doesn't take long to see Jesus say, I and the Father are one. Baptize them in the name singular, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we've already seen if you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God, uh, you know, and all those things, you know, that, that bring it to life for us. In Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, Paul told how he knew even more suffering awaited him. That's part of him serving them instead of uh, you know, them instead of himself, God instead of himself. He speaks clearly of how the responsibility to care for God's sheep never left him. It went on 24, 7, 365. That's how we say it these days. He said, night and day I was with you. And uh, look at verse 33. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. False teachers want your gold. They want your silver. They want your apparel. Some of them, like Joseph Smith, Man, he was after their wives, too. In fact, you know, um, when he was uh, gotten by a mob in Missouri, I believe it was, it was because people who were upset their wives had been taken, I believe, were after him, you know, and that sort of thing. So uh, Brigham Young also had a lot of different wives, and anyway, stuff like that happening. False teachers are known by getting rich at the expense of the weak. They fleece the sheep. They don't care for them, and that's why they're called wolves in sheep clothing because um, sheep don't attack each other, uh, eat each other like that, but wolves will, you know. Verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. A true shepherd takes care of the weak. They don't take advantage of them. They want to give. And it's worth remembering what Jesus said in John 10. So from the book of Acts, just turn to the left one book to John. And chapter 10, in some of the memorable words Jesus spoke about himself as the good shepherd. Anybody that wants to shepherd needs to try to be like the good shepherd who is our chief shepherd. Verse 11 of chapter 10 says, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and, and am known by my own. All right. So there's a good shepherd that takes care of his sheep. There's a hireling that's only in it for the money. Man, when danger comes, the hireling says, this ain't worth it. 
<laughs> he doesn't say with the danger coming, oh no, if I don't step in and, and, and shepherd here, uh, what's going to happen to the sheep? He says, man, if I step in, what's going to happen to yours truly? What's going to happen to me? <laughs> and so when the danger comes, he's out of there. He says, this paycheck is not worth this hassle, right? Um, and uh, it's interesting that the cults, I'm not saying it's never happened, but I can't think of many or any examples of it happening where they go to absolutely unreached people groups. You know what cults do? They go to places where missionaries have already won some people to Jesus. And then they try to take those who have got a little bit of teaching, confuse them and bring them in so they can make some money off of them and start their own cult. Uh, because, you know, when we think about the missionary task, even right now around the world, all the easy places have been taken. <laughs> What's left is the hardest places in the world to go. Now, I'm not talking about short-term mission trips that we send people to and things, but I am talking about, you know, where uh, in that 10 degree by 40 degree north window, they say, that goes across the world there from... North Africa to the Middle East over into Asia. And a lot of the unreached people groups are there. Some of those are Islamic countries and they'll tell you, we'll kill you if you bring the faith around here, you know. Uh, some of those are exceptionally hard altitudes to get to. Some of the people groups left in China that haven't been reached out to are still considered unreached. Nepal, places like that. Um, and when you start making disciples there, India, etc. There are places where you get your teeth kicked in. Uh, training to send our partners in West Africa have talked about the gospels flourishing in one area and they're in West Africa and the authorities were so upset about it they've now burned down the church. You know, uh, sometimes they'll rip the door off the homes of Indian evangelists and things like that. Uh, our friends Kumar and Treasure Pass that we've supported for many years um, they had uh, 10, 11,000 decisions for Christ in six states during their, uh, they went to like 300 plus villages. It was great during their Christmas campaign. Hey, if people are interested in Christmas, let's go tell them the Christmas story and give them the gospel and see how many will trust Christ and good old soul winning treasure paths, you know, ministry and stuff like that. Well, in two villages, uh, they barely got out of there with their lives, you know. Uh, all the easy places are taken. The hard places, the colts don't go, they go to this. But a true shepherd says, okay, if I don't take care of the sheep, what's going to happen to them and cares for them in those moments? True shepherd serves God and Christ's flock. A false teacher serves themselves. Uh, you'll see it in what they do with their money. Good gracious, you know. Uh, how many stories do we need to get of preachers with air-conditioned dog houses and yachts and planes and Ay, 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 you know, big, huge houses, bigger than church buildings and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I like the one really good brother from the last 20, 30 years who's built up and saved a lot of people, seen a lot of people saved and stuff. And he realized, man, as I write these books, money's really coming in. I'm going to reverse tithe. <laughs> you know, I'm going to live on a basic amount, you know, and I'm going to give the rest to missions and to putting wells in places where they don't have good water and stuff like that. And he's done that. Billy Graham lived like that. He lived on a basic budget. You know, he had a, a salary, probably no more than mine is, you know, a very simple lifestyle and stuff like that, you know, and uh, mine isn't exorbitant, you know, uh, you know, we're all of our staff members here are in line. Well, we were below uh, kind of in line with others and things like that, but we've been brought up to where we're closer to in line for comparable churches and salaries and things like that, which is good. But Billy Graham just set that tone, you know, and modeled that. And uh, you know he could have been a cajillionaire, you know, uh, with all the uh, offerings they took up in those crusades and other things. But it was to pay the expenses, to get ready for the next place, etc. And he lived a fairly modest life with his beautiful wife, Ruth. So your second thing in here, characteristic of false teaching, overarching traits, I should say, is false teachers, and you got two fill-in-the-blanks here, but they subtract and or add to the Bible's clear teachings. 
So verses 20 and 21. He says, I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, you, you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And then down in verse 27, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He, he didn't shrink back from declaring them the whole plan of God, but false teachers from without and ones that rise up from within will teach deviant, perverse doctrines. Many false teachers only tell you part of the Bible's message. Others add in things the Bible never said. So you have to watch out on both accounts, right? You know, um, and I've picked on him before. Might as well pick on him again. I've got a new name to pick on here for you. Um, when people just, when, when false teachers and preachers who get off track are on record with their problems and stuff and putting that false teaching out there, I think they do need to be called out. And I'm going to call the one out in a larger context. On Sunday morning and other times, I've talked about Joel Osteen, you know, and how he's built a big church. They take in a lot of money. But uh, Joel Osteen was on TV back in the day with Larry King. Larry King said, will a Jew, Larry King was a Jew, will a Jew or an atheist, Larry King was an atheistic Jew, <laughs> and uh, go to hell if they don't receive Jesus? And the answer is speaking the truth in love would be to say, well, well yes, Larry, that's what the Bible says. You know, and it's not me that says that. I agree with it, but it was the Bible says. The Bible says it. That settles it. And, um, you know, Larry, the problem is you, you don't understand how big a deal sin is before a holy God, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why Christ's blood is so precious to us because we can't save ourselves. It takes salvation from without to save us, and that's what Christ did for us. Give him the gospel, right? Billy Graham would have, you know, John MacArthur would have and did, and Jerry Falwell would have and did, you know, all those times that they got the chance to speak out. Here's what Joel Osteen said, I don't want to get into that, Larry. I just want to tell people God is for them. God is for them. And many of the time, many of the time I've heard him and I've heard Others teach that same thing. And I've heard preachers I have met over the years say, uh, you know, tell me about your church. And he said, well, we're trying to be like Joel Osteen. Oh, what does that mean? Well, we want to tell people God's for them. Oh, so you want to preach part of the Bible and leave out the other part. <laughs> um, millions have lapped up Joel Osteen's and other churches like this, their positive, self-focused, no repentance message. And it's so sad because it will, what they'll say is, God is for you. They'll take Philippians 4.13 and says, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. But if that person hasn't repented of their sins, they can't claim the strength of Christ to face life situations. And that never did. It was intended to mean you can dunk a basketball if you're five foot three, uh, you know, unless you're jumping off a trampoline, you know. Uh, you know, it was meant, man, if you got Christ in your heart and life, all the things He's called you to, even the tough things, He can give you the strength to do, you know, to stay and stay to stay when you feel like leaving, you know, uh, to um, all those different things, you know. In the New Testament, the big threat was Judaizers who wanted to insist that a person wasn't really saved until they added doing what the Old Testament said to faith in Jesus Christ. So the Judaizers were adding in, okay, I know Paul's telling you about God's grace and turning to faith and you get saved and stuff, but you've got to become a cultural Jew too. And Paul said, no, you don't. No, you don't. Don't add that stuff in. So it can, it can take a legalistic swing. It can also minimize sin. Uh, the Bible's authors made clear that a person is justified by faith in Christ alone, and then a truly person, saved person will do the things Jesus said to do. I love how the Bible's message is well summarized by Paul's words to Agrippa that we're going to see when we get to Acts 26.20. There it says, I preached to those in Damascus first, that's where he was saved, and to those in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. Like Judaizers, some false teachers err by pressing legalistic demands they have added to the moral law. It's all man-centered repentance without faith. Uh, we mentioned cults. There's also something we call a sect, S-E-C-T. And a sect gets most of the major doctrines about Christ and the Bible right, 
but does have some questionable things they add in. We can fellowship on some level with some of these folks, but we're a little weary and leery of some of the things they've added in. For instance, you probably have out there a good friend or two that comes from a Seventh-day Adventist background. And Seventh-day Adventists, um, many of them are godly people. They're saved by God's grace. They are also taught that they need to obey the Jewish dietary law and have their diet be just like that. And of course, there's, we've already dealt with in the book of Acts that that's just not so. Uh, it's not something that you need to impress on others. You know one of their big things is insisting that worship services be on Saturday instead of Sunday. And they have very much judged those who worship on Sunday, calling it the mark of the beast, giving into Antichrist, some nonsense like that. Perhaps you've seen a billboard like that or two as you've driven down the road. Um, for my part, I can say, listen, I've you know, had a warm pastor friend back in the valley who was Seventh-day Adventist. We agreed on all the major stuff. We agreed to disagree on the other stuff like that. And I don't think he was pressing those things on his people like uh, some do within the system, Seventh-day Adventists. So anyway, but that's adding things in. Um, others, and there are many doing this today, err on the side of too often excusing sinful behavior by the supposedly uh, redeem, uh, redeemed, those who say you're Christians, they presume on grace. So you've heard me say you can't be forgiven of sin you haven't repented of. By definition, to be forgiven of sin, you ha first have to confess it as sin. Homologeo, the word confess is homologeo, to say the same thing about your sin that God does, and then to be turning from it. Now, true Christians do struggle with things. There are people in churches that love Jesus and they struggle with this kind of sin or that kind of sin. But they're not a true believer if they are saying, I'm a Christian in good standing and I reject scriptural teaching about sexual matters, other things like that. Do you get the difference there? We all struggle with lots of stuff, right? But to say it's not sin. Um, and that's the new name I was going to throw in there for you is Andy Stanley. Charles Stanley, my goodness, what a godly man. Has never done anything to... Um, uh, you know, make my job as a local church pastor harder. He's from Danville. What a wonderful man. Friend of RJ, friend of uh, others too, you know, uh, Raymond Barber, him all the way back and stuff like that. Um, his son, Andy, went to a great school. I believe he went to Dallas Seminary, like I got my doctor of ministry from. And in the last few years, he's just starting to embarrass us, first by kind of uh, rejecting chunks of the Old Testament and their relevance for today. Uh, there is a dispensational way he learned at Dallas Seminary to appreciate, understand, and bring forward all that's to be brought forward uh, from a um, believer's perspective, you know, with also understanding that the Jewish dietary code, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, death penalty for certain sins within Israel, uh, you know, the instructions on dietary code and days and things like that, that uh, that is served its purpose now that Christ has come and we're not, those things aren't binding on us, but certainly the moral law is. Um, so for years now, I've become more and more troubled at his kind of cavalier attitude to homosexuals attending his church. Now listen, Church, Sunday morning, we're glad for anybody that's here and watching online. We want people to hear the gospel. But what you can't do is consider somebody a good Christian if they are in defiant sin according to the Scripture. And he made a statement that uh, you maybe have heard about. If you've been listening to Christian Radio the last few days, he made a statement recently and talked about, he, he was praising the, the strong Christian uh, gays and lesbians in his church for sticking with uh, the church and tolerating things, even though we oftentimes say mean things you know, in, in Christendom, say hard things to them, et cetera. But he was, you know, very wishy-washy in his statement related to agreeing that it's sin and wickedness and needs to be repented of, along with fornication, adultery, bestiality, other things, you know. 
And so, uh, wow, wow, wow. And this is a guy that many, many young preachers and people look to for advice on leadership and other things like that. And he has made my job harder, not easier, because he's so cool, too cool for school, you know. And uh, so anyway, that's the kind of thing happening out there. And Paul said, listen, well, and this week also, the Pope, <laughs> you know, said, let's be clear, it is a cr it's not a crime, but it is a sin. And so I want you to welcome, you bishops out there, welcome folks into the uh, different Catholic churches and things. Uh, and it's like, well, no, we need more clarity on that, for Pope. We need more clarity on that. You know, what are you saying? What are you really saying? He's like, well, I'm trying not to say. I'm trying to say it's okay without saying it's okay, you know. Um, and um, so, obviously, if you allow people of any sin, these are the ones that are just in the news, but of any sin, if you allow them uh, to be part of the church without an understanding that repentance is called for, uh, then you got problems. You got problems. So it comes from without, it's going to come from within too. And certainly, you know, uh, some of you are familiar with people that used to agree with all the doctrine and preaching of the Bible and the tabernacles message and stuff that are out there saying something different today. Some of them on Facebook, et cetera, that we're praying for. But um, that's what happens. Paul warned against those who teach part of what the, um, teach only part of what the Bible's teaching or who rise up with deviant doctrines. The word deviant means abnormal, different, uh, perverse is the word in the New King James here in verse chapter 20, verse 30. Look, he said, also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things. Other translations say deviant things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Uh, and Andy Stanley wants to keep his church full. Uh, so he's willing to, um, you know, empty other churches with this uh, different message than the faith once for all delivered to saints, being too cool for school, making our job harder that are trying to be faithful to the Word. Well, it shows the importance of recognizing the inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of the Bible, giving us the standard to judge deviant doctrine by. Without the standard, then there's no way to evaluate the claims of any teacher you hear. If you had never seen a dollar bill and I tried to pass off that dollar bill with my face on it, you, you, you might not know, you know. Um, yeah, you'd know, but, <laughs> uh, but you do know. And so you're able to recognize. Um, and part of the training for those evaluating currency that's um, fraudulent is to be very familiar with the real thing. So first they study the real thing and then they say, now look, here's something somebody tried to pass off. And even though the deceptions are clever, they're able to identify and say, no, that's the, you know, you've seen the bank teller, right? Hold a bill up to the light because there's a, some other ways to make sure it's good paper and not. Uh, <laughs> so got all kinds of things like that. Um, when someone in our day claims that God spoke to them, we can and must evaluate what they said based on scriptures. False teaching elevates human knowledge, effort and experience over the inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of the Bible and its teachings about Jesus, salvation, and Christian growth. And so here's where we need to be wary, not just of clearly false teachers, but also popular Christian authors, like I've already mentioned, who say fruity things and even speculative things. I'll tell you, um, Bruce Wilkinson is a really godly author. Um, he did Walk for the Life for years, but I personally was disappointed with the way he allowed the Prayer of Jabez book to be marketed. Um, and you might be familiar with the Prayer of Jabez. It uh, is Jabez's prayer, oh God, will you, you know, I pray that you'll bless me indeed, you know, help me to cause no harm and things like that. And the way it was marketed was almost like, man, if you pray this prayer and the part in it about your territory being enlarged, et cetera, then you too will prosper. And it just fed right into those folks that want to believe that if we get our faith formula right, if we do things right, then we will have uh, untold blessings now and stuff like that. And sometimes in tongue-in-cheek ways, and again, I'm a Bruce Wilkinson fan, but I was disappointed with that from 20 years ago or so. But I joked ever since that that I'm going to write a book called The Prayer of Jephthah. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the story of Jephthah, you know, he said, God, if you'll give me this great victory over these many, these formidable enemies, then when I get home, I'll sacrifice the first thing I see. 
Do you remember what his first thing he saw was when he got home? His daughter. And I know it's a fierce debate among Christians whether or not he actually sacrificed the daughter. That's the only way I know to read that context. It looks like he let her party with her friends for a little bit and then sacrificed her the way God's enemies sacrificed their people to the fire, you know. And God's word had said, don't do that. Jeb, Jabez never uh, Jephthah never should have done that. He was still a man who trusted God amidst unbelievable odds. And so he's actually in Hebrews 11 as a model of faith because he basically was saying, God, we can't lick him without you. Come be with us. But then he made the foolish vow that sometimes even great people of faith make. You know, So I've joked that I'd write the prayer of Jephthah. There will be spiritual power if you agree with God that you'll sacrifice the first thing you see when you get home. You know, um, So anyway, we lose more livestock that way. I'm just kidding. Um, so a good rule of thumb about claims by a teacher is this. If you had just a few hours to pour solid teaching into a new disciple, would there be any value in including these speculative thoughts? If not, why waste your own time, you know? Um, and again, it's okay, you know, for God's people to have uh, discussions with each other. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we can get into trouble and sin and stuff like that. It is a good thing when God's people get together and talk about prophecies and, you know, uh, who the two disciples might be, you know, in uh, the book of Revelation, who the two witnesses are, right? Uh, some say Moses and Elijah. Some say Elijah and Enoch because neither one of them ever died. This will be their chance to die and stuff. Some say it's figurative of the church and Israel. Yeah, all kinds of different things like that. But get back to what we do know uh, when you're off track there a little bit into speculation and stuff. Um, but false teaching loves to make a lot of the speculation. And um, I remember talking to a guy one time, and he had been, this guy had troubles. I mean, he, he, uh, he was coming through Waynesboro, and an elder and I went over to meet him. And uh, because he, he needed a little help, uh, and, and he, he was having um, uh, an emotional breakdown, I think, but there was a spiritual component to it, so we wanted to go help him, you know. And he had uh, been taught somewhere along the line Isaiah 53, where it says, By his stripes we are healed. He had been taught that those stripes that Isaiah 53 talks about, that are mostly about the Messiah bearing our sins, right? The healing there is that this Messiah is going to suffer for us so we can live forever. He's going to be our atoning sacrifice like the Old Testament words. But he had been taught by some fringe Pentecostal teaching, you know, that by his stripes we are healed, healed means that healing is guaranteed, physical healing is guaranteed. In addition, so he was just torturing himself that there had to be something wrong with him that God was not faith, uh, say, you know, healing him in the area that uh, he wasn't being healed in. And um, we, 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 it, it was so ingrained in him, we couldn't talk him we couldn't talk him back to saying, well, listen, God's sovereign over healing too, you know, physical healing down here, heaven's ultimate healing. But, you know, no, he said, and he kept pounding that by his stripes, we are healed. And you could almost see as he was doing that, a preacher in a day he'd listened to somewhere pounding the pulpit and saying, by his stripes, we are healed means healing is guaranteed, you know, very sad. These are not easy things to talk about, but Paul told the elders they needed to watch out for deviant doctrines being taught and to warn God's people. And that sometimes includes the difficult task of reprimanding and even removing those who believe and teach deviant doctrines. Uh, and I've had to do that at the church level. A few years back, my wonderful alma mater, Bryan College, had two different teachers. One was a Bible teacher. One was a biology teacher, Bible and biology. And, you know, Bryan College is named for William Jennings Bryan. There's no doubt where he stood in the whole creation versus evolution thing. The Scopes Monkey Trial. Bryan College is in Dayton, Tennessee, where the Scopes Monkey Trial took place. Over the years, it stood for the inerrancy of scriptures. It started like Liberty did, a center uh, for the study of creation research, you know, to say we believe that God created everything, you know. 
Satan cannot stand that there's even a hundred schools like Liberty and Bryan and Appalachian Bible College and Columbia International University. He can't stand that there's even a hundred or two hundred, whatever the number is, that are out there where people still believe in the Bible and still teach creation, Bob Jones University, others. He can't stand it. He can't stand it. So, uh, so these professors had come into Bryan College, signed the statement of faith and other stuff, and yet they had come to believe in a more theistic evolution approach to things, you know, and wanted to teach that. Uh, and hey, listen, teach students to, there's the scriptures, there's what people say, to evaluate things by the scriptures, all the good things that a Christian college and school does and preachers preach about trying to answer people's questions and all that different stuff. But um, they were going to be part of a book that uh, you know, was really aimed at trying to insult the intelligence of Christians at the tabernacle, places like the tabernacle and homeschool parents and Christian school parents and others that still want their children to be taught creation. And um, so somehow Ken Ham heard about that and shone the light on it. And I thank God that he did. I love Ken Ham, uh, the creation fellow. And so the president and the trustees of Brian had a problem here we are, a conservative Christian college that really does believe our stuff, and we've got these two professors that, by the way, the students love and adore. Um, what are we going to do? You know, we've got to stand on the Word, but this is going to be difficult. And thank God they did. They stood on the Word. They did the difficult work. Both professors were basically, uh, contracts were not renewed. They left that year. And of course, it upset a lot of the students. It upset some of the... There, there's no way at a small place including a church or a small Christian college. There's no way to deal with such things and not have a lot of heartache and hurt feelings and those things. But you got to do it. Paul said to the elders there at Miletus, listen, one of your favorite Sunday school teachers might start teaching junk, might start believing what the world teaches instead of what the Word of God teaches. You're going to have to discipline them. You're going to have to deal with that. And I thank God, looking back, that my small Christian college came to that moment and at the moment that Wake Forest and Averett, uh, other colleges in Virginia and other places, when they reached that moment and let their Bible teachers and their science teachers and others come away from the Word of God and to what the world teaches, they held firm there. I thank God for that. But it was hard. And it's hard. It was hard in Miletus if it rose up and stuff like that, you know. And um, so... That's one of the responsibilities of your board, your elders uh, at a church, your pastors, is to make sure that the teaching's consistent with what we've said we believe, you know, from the Word of God. So thank the Lord for those who have stood in the past, those standing now. And I'm thankful because my college is flourishing with professors that, you know, they had their moment and they met it. And now you can, you know... Uh, know that that's being taught there, which is good. Verse 32, the antidote, that's your fill in the blank there, antidote to false teaching is Bible-based belief and behavior. Bible-based belief and behavior. Paul's not going to be with them anymore, but they still have the truth of God's Word to guide them. So in verse 32, he says, Brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So you got a real dollar bill, you put my fake dollar bill beside it, you see it, right? When you hear ideas, you take them back to the Word of God, right? About beliefs, about behaviors, and um, you, you, know, you don't let false teaching flourish in the place. Paul says, I commit you to God, men and women, to the message of His grace. And of course, we find that message in the book, the blessed Bible, the inerrant, authoritative, sufficient Word of God. So the key to identifying and rejecting false teachers, I'm back to where we began. The key to identifying and rejecting it is to be so familiar with the Bible and its teachings that counterfeits are obvious. Remember the Bereans' attitude toward the teaching they heard? Man, what did they do? Acts 17.11 says, The people were more e open-minded than those in Thessalonica, since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul's making assertions that Jesus is the Messiah. We, want, we don't want to miss the Messiah. He remembered, he taught us this. Let's go back to those Bible, those Old Testament passages he talked about and see if Jesus, oh, born in Bethlehem, oh, suffered for sinners, oh, healings in Galilee, oh, you know, all the different things. The Messiah has come. We missed Him. We need to embrace Him.
in Thessalonica, they just said, you're making us mad. We don't like hearing that. <laughs> but in Berea, they said, he, let's, let's check that out. Uh, the Holy Spirit's doing something. Let's check that out with the Word of God. And they embraced the faith because of that. So I'm going to end here by reading Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3 and 4 that go so well with this rooting out of false teaching and teachers in favor of true teaching, true teachers. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing that from childhood you've known the sacred scriptures. Oh, my goodness, you learned it in the uh, nursery there with Vicki and all them teachers. You know, you learned it in the Iwana ministry and the youth group as those folks chaperoned. You learned it uh, as the preacher preached and as your teachers taught. The sacred scriptures which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. That's what you should believe. For rebuking, that's what you should not believe. For correcting, that's how you should not behave. For training in righteousness, that's how you should behave. That the man of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Before God and Christ Jesus, Timothy, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Christ Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead, Timothy. And by His appearing in His kingdom, I solemnly charge you, preach the word, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether it's convenient or not. There's a lot of people that it inconveniences today. Convenient or not, rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come. 2023 is here. The time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Whew! All right. Don't forget the key. Be in the Word enough that you can identify when things are false. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.